So I think one of the things that really energized me about coaching was it wasn't just coaching football. It was like you had this 150, 175 young boys that out of a team of 175, probably 10 of them had both parents at home, extreme poverty, and then make sure they understood that it took hard work to get there, right? And hard work didn't guarantee success. It just gave you a chance to be successful. Hey there, friend. This is Stephanie Crevins, and you are listening to the Mid-Level Leaders Hot Mess Hotline, where we have conversations with CEOs and entrepreneurs and top-level leadership so that our midline leaders, our folks out on the front lines of leadership and management in our small, fast-growing companies can really understand what it takes to be in the C-suite. And today, I am having a conversation with Emil Ikior. He is the CEO of InnaPower. They just got their start here in Indy about a year and a half ago and have really uh, worked to take their programming nationwide. Emil um, comes from an unlikely background into entrepreneurship, and that is Nigeria to America to the NFL to starting numerous businesses. And along the way, learning about the realities of poverty and social injustices here, particularly in Indianapolis, and devoting his career after the NFL to righting those injustices fixing those long-term problems, but more importantly, I think creating sustainable jobs and systems and relationships and connections today. Um, so I want you to listen into this story. We're going to talk a lot about the social injustices that happen and the realities of inequalities here in Indianapolis. But as we start the conversation, I want you to listen into the journey that started for Emil in his career the day that he was dismissed from the NFL. There are so many applicable lessons to a leader who wants to lead in an impactful life for themselves to get up every day and passionate about their career. He asks some really tough questions of himself. And now fast forward 15, 16 years later, he's able to connect the dots as to why he had those experiences and it enables him to run the business and the nonprofit that he has today. So let's dig in my friends. All right, Emil, <laughs> tell us about your hot mess. Tell us what was going on. You know what? I was, um, you know, when I came to the U S when I was 15, I got introduced to football and, um, you know, fell in love with it. Spent a lot of time practicing and, um, you know, ended up being pretty good at it. Um, got a scholarship to the University of Central Florida, played there for four years. Got lucky and got into the NFL. And then um, spent six years in the NFL. Um, but every day from my 11th grade in high school all the way till years in the NFL was about getting better to be a great athlete, right? Um, mm -hmm. To compete at the highest level. A lot of investments into your body, your mind. Your mom almost becomes your identity in some cases, right? People look at you as a football player and not just yes. email. And then all of a sudden, one day, I got called into an office and um, was told, like, you know what? Uh, we may have to go in a different direction. Gut wrenching. Um, even though you knew that day was eventually going to come, you never plan for it. You never have a, 
Um, that's their backup plan for that um, mm. because you've invested so much. So that day came for me. You know, I remember going into the office with Bill Callahan, who was the head coach for the Oakland Raiders at that time. The year before, we had just played in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay, lost in the Super Bowl, had a great year. And then the next year, things were not going as well. I was coming off an injury, trying to rehab and, and um, get my ankle better. Um, it just wasn't working. Um, but I thought I had more time. I was young. So I remember going into the office and um, Bill, good guy. Emil, we like you so much. We love everything you've done for the organization. Being a hard worker, but we just need to make some changes. Um, you know, your injury is not allowing you to play right now. And um, we want to go in a different direction. So I remember, you know, taking that, shaking his hand, thanking him for the opportunities, leaving, um, going to my apartment, sitting there and thinking, okay, what's next? You know, like every athlete automatically you think, well, another team is going to pick you up and it's back to mm -hmm. preparing and the competitor in you wants to show them and say, you know what, I'm going to show them. I'm, I'm going to prove them wrong. Um, <laughs> So all those things are going through your mind. Um, back then, I had a young son. My son was four years old. So that was also going through my mind that, you know, I've been traveling so much, playing ball. And um, it's like, you know, I got a family. You know, I've done this football thing. I've had injuries. Um, it was good. It was bad. You know, is it time to end this thing? Is it time to move on to the next thing? And um, every time I thought about that, I always thought about what is the next thing? And what else do I love as much as I love preparing to play and being mm. around my teammates and the thrill of competition? Not even about money, but just what you do every day to get yourself ready to perform at a high level and falling in love with that process. Oh my gosh. And, uh, oh my gosh, Emil. Okay, so can we just stop? Because like the things that you're pointing out right now, like, I don't know a leader who hasn't asked themselves those exact same questions, like, mm. and, and, and not about, not about football. Obviously I've never played a day of football in my whole life, but, um, um like, uh, oh, oh, these existential questions that were, yet you faced in one single day, when the coach calls you into his office to say, we're going in another direction, which then forces you to go into another direction. I've had those conversations in a conference room about work. Talk to me about how were you feeling in that moment when the coach sits you down and, and you realize what exactly is happening? You know, like, does your stomach drop? Like, what were you feeling about? Like this team no longer want, you know, wants me, needs me, can use me from their perspective. What's going, you know, what was, how were you feeling? I think you described it right. Your stomach drops. It's like a punch to your chest. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you, you, I mean, you just, it's crushing, you know. Um, anytime you just, you put so much work into it. And um, the one thing every athlete, every profession, I think, feels, you want to feel wanted, right? You want to feel like, uh, yes, you have value within your organization and the people you work with. So when you, when you come across like, you know, wanted, or you don't have value, it's, it's crushing. And then, especially when you can um, just jump into the next thing, right? You don't know what the next thing is. Mm -hmm. So so when you have that conversation, it's just a, a, a crushing blow. It's deflating, it's disappointing. 
um, all those things. That's how you feel when you sit down in that room. And, and you also want to handle yourself properly, right? You want to mm-hmm. handle yourself in a professional way and not just break down crying. <laughs> and not, just, not in front of your boss, <laughs> former boss. <laughs> so you want to handle yourself in a professional way and, and be a mm-hmm. stand-up guy and, you know, and, 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 and thank him and, and be classy in, in, in that whole process too, right? So that's part of the thought process. Okay, handle yourself right, stand, you know, be upright and um, don't show any weaknesses. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. Um, so all those things that are running through your mind in that in that moment. Uh, but the biggest thing is just you just deflated at that moment too, right? It's just the wind is taken out of you. Oh, yes. So uh, I mean, I can empathize with those moments so much. I've certainly had a couple of those in my career. And uh, yeah, the dual thought of like monitoring your physiological response because your heart is in your stomach, your palms are sweating. Armpits get a little sweaty in my case. I'm like, oh my God. Like, but then like not letting your lower lip quiver and mm-hmm. keeping it together and making sure you can exit somewhat gracefully in a less than graceful moment in your career. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. So you go home. How long before those big existential questions start running through your head about what's next? Where do I invest? What's my identity? Who am I now? How long? You know, immediately, right? You have an agent. So immediately call, call your agent and say, hey, this just happened. What's next, right? You want to know right now, am I going on another team, you know? And obviously your agent is like, well, we'll put in calls and and we'll try to, you know, so this team liked you and this team liked you and things are going to be okay. So you're thinking about those things and immediately want to keep things going. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you're also thinking about the embarrassment, right? The whole world is going to read about you being released. Mm. Um, so it's not like any other job where it kind of happens in silence, but in this, it's going to be in the papers, on the news, on the tick in the bottom of, of ESPN, a ticket that goes at the bottom of, of the of the screen. So the embarrassment and knowing that in a couple of hours you you start getting calls from everybody and, and people are you okay and, and those kind of things. But also, yeah. you know, wanted to call my my wife and just say, hey, look, this just happened. And as a family, you know that 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 impacts you more immediately than anything else. So it was it was doing that. You know, calling my agent first, it's like this happened. And he's saying, re- trying to reassure me that things will be okay. And then um, calling my wife and saying, hey, here's what happened. I'm going to get my things packed here and, and head on home and all and those kind of conversations. So uh, there's no happy times when that happens. <laughs> and I just remember just a really, really sad moment. But you're also trying to be positive, right? And you're thinking of, your career and, and continue your career and continue everything you've worked for. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing, I know we're new friends, but you have a bias towards action. So your brain goes, what's next? What can I do next? What can I say next? Who can I see next? Who can I talk to next? At what point were you able to reflect on that experience? How long did that take you? Cause a lot of leaders that I work with have that bias towards action, which has its place, but us folks that are action oriented, we forget to reflect. So I'm curious, like how long did it take you to be like, okay, I need to sit down and really 
think about what has just happened? Oh, it took me a while. Um, mm. I'll say a year. Wow. Um, yeah, because it was, um, you, you, you don't want to deal with finality. And sometimes when you reflect, it's almost like you're reflecting because you feel that chapter is over. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, it was always, okay, just stay ready, right? Keep yourself in shape. Things are going to be okay. You're going to, you know, play on another team, all those kind of thinking, right? So never trying to, I didn't sit back and say, you know what? This has been a great, so many years. I've, I've had a great experience and I've learned so much and have so many wonderful friends and professionally have been exposed to professionalism at the highest level, but didn't have time to think about that at that time um, because it was about, and really trying to show that, you know, they made the wrong decision, you know, they let me go. What? How could they? (laughs) (laughs) How dare them? You know, I'm going to show them, you know, so that's all process. That's all I was thinking about was just getting myself better preparing myself to, to, to do better. Right. Um, and work harder and, and all those kind of thinking. I'm just going to grind and grind harder, spend more time in the gym, train more uh-huh. and just get myself uh-huh. and keep myself ready. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show them I'm going to work even harder. If I just work harder, I'm going to get back what I want. Exactly. So- <laughs> Exactly. Oh, it's the curse of the overachiever, man. This is what we do. <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> but yes, you're so, so right. That's exactly the mindset was just, you know what? I'm going to just put just put the foot to the metal. I'm going to yes. grind harder. You know, it's just a, a stumbling block. It's not, you know, so that was everything I was thinking at that time and just focused on that piece. So there comes a point where it seems pretty clear that you're not going back to another NFL team, right? How far out was that? And what happened through that off season, as I was that time I was rehabbing and training, Mm -hmm. I just started looking at different things, right? As far as just life um, and things that I had not been able to do. Um, But also understanding that, uh, you know what? Um, I put in so much into this that um, I had never even looked at other things, right? Yes. So having the opportunity to look at those other things now and spending time saying, hmm, you know what? I've always looked to do business, you know, um, but never put time into doing a lot of business and and investing my time into it because I was always playing. So all those things started coming through my mind. I started seeing... um, other things and getting involved with things I just didn't have time to get involved with in the past. And what were some of those projects? A lot of community stuff, right? I I started paying attention more, even though I did a lot of community work, but started seeing a lot of um, inequalities, more injustices that I felt could be fixed Mm -hmm. and and those kind of things. And um, just interacting with people more as far as learning more about how could things be fixed? How could things be better, right? And the more I had those conversations, the more that interested me, the more those conversations and finding a solution kind of energized me even more. So um, as time went on, I kept reflecting, okay, you know what? I've been injured, pretty bad injury, 
do I want to go back through the process of being a new guy in a new organization, trying to prove myself and mm-hmm. go through that whole thing again? Uh, so I was having all those questions and I'm just saying, you know what? It may be time just to to just go start something, start life, right? And, and start seeing what's out there. So I was having all those dual questions. We were staying in Orlando. My wife is from Indianapolis, so she wanted to move back home to Indy. You know, I didn't know anybody here. I think I knew two people here. Um, so all those things were kind of happening and and I'm um, thinking, and it was a time in my life too where my relationship with uh, Christ was actually strengthening. It's funny how when we go through adversity, that relationship becomes stronger. <laughs> but it was, it was, um, it was so such a powerful time because I had friends um, that really just saw the, the pain I was going through and, you know, we started spending time just talking about, you know, I'd always been a Christian, always um, grew up in the church and everything else. But as far as a personal relationship, understanding what that meant, you know, during that time, started learning more. So we decided to move to Indy. And so my wife and I moved to Indianapolis um, with my son. So got here and then I said, okay, it's a new start. I don't know anybody here. And yeah. pretty much had made up my, I was kind of waiting for a phone call to see someone come, but deep down inside, I said to myself, well, you know what, it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. It's time to um, to start something new, a new page, without really knowing what that new page is. So moved to Indy and then decided to, uh, you know, still had football in me and, and wanted to get it out. So I said, you know what, I've always thought about coaching and doing something like that. Let me give that a try. Mm-hmm. And that was like a life-changing decision, right? I, I, I jumped into coaching here in Indy at uh, Warren Central High School on the east side. Okay. And, um, and um, just, just a small little football program here in Indiana. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but um just one of the powerhouses in the state okay <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> a good friend a friend of mine one of my best friends today a guy named kevin wright was the head coach there and um i remember sending my resume out to different schools and he called me and said hey look we'll love to have you so I jumped into it and it was unbelievable right it just um gave me so much value right because all these young males especially black males um team of 150 kids um, from the far east side of indianapolis how they all embraced me all were eager to hear what i had to say and Mm -hmm. um i didn't even think i was i I knew i knew football and played football but i didn't think i was even paying attention to that football meetings and all those things i just played right (laughs) but i had so much football knowledge right that I was able to share from game planning to, mm. you know, still the process of development, right? Um, it's just something that I just love till today is the preparation and the training and everything you do to prepare to play the season. And um, being able to do that with those young boys and, and go through that and teach them how to prepare, teach them how to um, have a mindset of, um, of being unstoppable and believing in yourself and all those things really just gave me instant energy, right? Just energy because you saw how people just listen to, but then you felt like, wow, you know what? I'm really, I'm kind of good at this. You know, I'm kind of good at, you know, communicating with these young men and energizing them and encouraging them and uplifting them and all those kind of things. So 
in some cases, when you when you get done playing, um, like I said, you go through that phase of the embarrassment of being done, mm-hmm. um, of feeling like you failed, even though you were at the highest level for six, seven years. It's funny that the whole world, you feel like the world looks at, at you as a failure, you know. Mm. So you kind of shut down. Um, but then coming out and, and coaching kind of just allowed me to speak more about my experience, right? Because all the kids wanted to know, right? But then also just started what we talked about as far as reflecting, right? Uh, for the first time, a year later, I started reflecting more about my time playing in college and in the NFL and what did I get out of it? And I started realizing I got so much out of it, that it was so much lessons and preparations and trainings that I've been through, just being exposed to what I was exposed to. And I had a huge network, you know, just friends and coaches and all of that and communities that I spent time in and all those things. But it wasn't until I started coaching and, and spending time coaching that I was able to actually start reflecting back on, on my on my NFL career and my playing career. That makes so sense. There's something about dedication is like a two-sided um, coin or what's a dual-edged sword. I forget what the cliche is, but your dedication, you kept your nose down, you kept focus on yourself, your own growth, what you're doing for your team that you were on. And it wasn't till something fairly transformative happened in your career where you actually were able to look up and see all the people in your life that supported you and that you support and the people that you could help teach and develop and give them that mindset. It's so many times in our career, mid-level leaders do this exact same thing. They get so focused on their own career. They get so focused on the next plane they have to be on. They get so focused on the next deal that they have to broker that they never look up and look around and to see who they're impacting and how they can impact them until something like being terminated happens. I mean, mm-hmm. you are, you had to ask the hard questions that you never would have asked if you hadn't been dismissed from the team. Exactly. And realizing too, right. You just end up being in a, in a, in a, in a revolving circle like you just things just go right so the season yes. goes it ends you've trained and it comes again it goes ends, and you get in that routine and um as I reflected I was like man you know what I could have just been in that routine for so long so simple things like um using word right I never had to <laughs> <laughs> right? never I had never, to type up a document and I, never, never. I, didn't, I didn't you know why I didn't I didn't really spend time doing that because you were so yeah. focused and yes. so you start saying all these things in life that um and then people that I went to college with that graduated from college and just got into their profession um even though I played for six years and lived well and everything else I felt like in some cases they were ahead of me right? Mm. because they had been exposed to just doing stuff. And so when I reflected and spent time reflecting on, on, on the soft skills and the transferable skills from the NFL, it also helped me understand that, yeah, you're actually so much more ahead because the life and the, and the extreme scrutiny that you were exposed to mm-hmm. at the highest level and the demand for excellence and the, there's no gray area in the NFL. It's black or white. Either you could do it yes. or you can't, right? And all of those things um, actually prepared me to be so much more ready 
um, to do anything professionally after football. Um, yes. But I didn't think that at first. At first, it was like, what am I going to do? What am I good at? You know, but once you reflect and you start saying and thinking through and realizing that, wow, I am actually, well, it's so funny that it was coaching that actually helped me realize that. Um, it was sitting down in coaches' rooms and game planning and being able to organize the game planning and everyone looking, how do you know that? How do you know how to do all these things, right? And yes. um, it was the demand for excellence within our staff and then with the kids we coached and the consistent focus on excellence, right? And knowing that I'd been at the highest level where that was day to day, but because it became a routine, you didn't even realize how different that was. Mm. So uh, uh, I love this in the, the parallel to, again, overachievers. So overachievers versus high achievers. To me, there's a huge difference. Overachievers are, they strive at the cost of themselves and others. They demand perfection. They don't know how to lessen expectations for things that don't really matter. It's just like, go, go, go all the time. High achievers say, you know what? These are the critical factors that matter. We can, we can be really great at these, but this other stuff we're going to dismiss. We're going to give grace to ourselves and other people. How did you learn how to go from what high achieving is in the NFL to high achieving at, I mean, a top rated football program in, in high school football, it's still at the top, top of its class, but it's still high school football, how did you adjust your mindset for the demands of the NFL versus the demands of a high school locker room? You know what? That's such a great question, right? I think the demands, um, I didn't, I, because of the situation we were in at Warren, because you had so many kids that came from poverty, mm -hmm. so many young people that, um, you know, they felt like, hey, football could be my way out. Yes. So for me, it was bringing that same demand as unfair as it may stand to those young people. Right. Because I felt based on my own life experiences as well, that to, to get out of poverty, it takes a lot of hard work. Right. And it takes some yes. luck as well. Right. It takes people, great people in your lives demanding the best out of you. Right. And bringing yeah. the best out of you. Yeah, to so, show you another way, to show you another world, just like exactly. the NFL is another world, to show you another world, yes. Exactly. So I think one of the things that really energized me about coaching was it wasn't just coaching football. It was like you had this 150, 175 young boys that out of a team of 175, probably 10 of them had both parents at home, extreme poverty. but you had a cast of vision for them of themselves that they didn't even mm. see. Right. Yes. And then make sure they understood that it took hard work to get there. Right. And hard work didn't guarantee success. It just gave you a chance to be successful. Mm. Right? Yes. So getting those. Let's say that again. Say that again. Hard work doesn't guarantee success. It just gives you a chance to be successful. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Yes. And, uh, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> and and getting them and pushing those young boys, allowing them to dream big, encouraging them to dream big, but saying, you know, the bottom line is going to be hard work. Like you got to work. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's going to give you anything. 
You got to believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. And um, really pushing them to that to that point, right? And for me, sometimes I look back to it and say, you know, it was te- therapeutic. Um, <laughs> and um, and today that a lot of those young boys are adult males with families uh-huh. of their own, and um, be able to sit down with them and, and then talk about just how hard I was on them and how much, but the other thing too was how much I also spend time to know them, right? You know, their girlfriends and life as a whole. But then as soon as it came to football, the switch turned, like Coach <laughs> e, <laughs> you know, the switch turned to a whole different person and pushing them. But those times were really great times for me because like I said from for life, um, making the transition from playing. Um, now, I always did business. Like I said, I'm Nigerian. I did a lot of import-export. But I never woke up in the morning excited about doing import-export, right? Uh, okay. You know, it wasn't something that – it was something I did, but it wasn't like a passion. And, and you did this doing, while you were playing football, you mean? And Yeah, I did while after. I played football okay. and yeah. then after as well. Um, yeah. But it wasn't – uh, on a burning passion, right? What I was looking for was the passion of every morning from when I was 15 to when I stopped playing was about waking up and getting better what I did. Oh, yes. Well, let's, okay. So let's pause there for a second because um, we're going to go to commercial break just to kind of put a bow on this part of this hot mess of your life where you're questioning who you are, how you do it, what you're passionate about. Now that the thing that you were passionate about for more than 10 years is no longer a significant part of your life as a player it transitioned. but let's go to commercial. When we kind of, kind of, when we come back, we're going to talk about you as CEO of in a power now and how you use this experience to create something really innovative here in Indianapolis mm. for um, other minorities in our community and in touching lives across our state. Um, so let's take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to dig into how do you turn those lessons of those times when you had to, I mean, these are tough questions you had to answer for mm-hmm. yourself. I know going through it, it feels tough in the moment. And then, you know, we're 15 years out from that. And I'm guessing the pain is kind of lessened, but all of us as adults have had to answer those questions to lead a meaningful life. And so one, I just applaud you for doing that. Um, it never seems purposeful in the moment until you can look back and connect the string of pearls together. Um, but it, you know, as we know, God has a plan. Universe has a plan for us. He puts these things together. And now you have an amazing story to tell as a CEO of Inner Power. So let's go to break and we'll come back. This season of the Hot Mess Hotline is brought to you by my Hot Mess Quiz. One of the common lessons that my clients learn during coaching is how to really evaluate a problem, dissect it for clarity, and then take action on the tasks that really move the needle. The Hot Mess Quiz can bring you that focus too. As a leader, your work life is full of, well, work. But according to Pareto, 80% of that work isn't even impactful. If you need to create growth and change, you need to focus in on what truly matters and what will drive new results. Take the hot mess quiz by clicking on the link below, which is stephaniecrevins.com forward slash hot mess quiz. You know, just like this podcast promise, and this is in the real world too, what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real? 
That's what you're going to get in this report. It's going to be tailored to your business hot mess to tell you exactly where to focus your efforts first and then how to bring your team along to get the change that you need to create. Go to stephaniecrevins.com forward slash hot mess quiz. Don't wait another minute to start becoming the pro troublemaker you've always wanted to be. So, Emil, this was that time in your life where you had to answer these really hard, purposeful questions about who you are as a human, how you want to live out your gifts. That was 2004, 2005. Now we're fast forwarding to 2019, 2020, 2021. How have you used that soul searching, that action taking to create something new for yourself and for the world? A coach of Warren. And I spent probably another three years there, four years. Okay. Um, we ended up winning like four state championships. But it was such a wonderful training ground to be. And I volunteered all that time uh, to be around those young boys. And um, because I was also in a, in a retraining, right, of myself. Mm. Um, I knew that, um, you know, the passion for just the community, the passion of saying, trying to find answers and, and, and help develop people. There was something there that I kept coming back to that gave me so much joy at a time where I was trying to figure out what was next, right? So the coaching allowed me to really see that, uh, you know, our young people, just like I, when I was young, I was 15 when I came to this country and without my family and had to find myself and and really just look back at adults that were just great in my life, right? That helped me along the way, kind of allowed me to fail, make decisions and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I just saw in that time that, you know what, I didn't meet one young person that said, you know what, I don't want to do anything. Every young <laughs> person I worked with had a dream or something they wanted to do. A lot of them were even scared to share their dreams because they didn't really feel like it was attainable. Mm. So I kept going back to, you know, the, the, the one thing about the U.S. that I tell people just makes it so amazing because everybody should feel like they're one connection away, one class away, one um, business deal away from making it right. And then you just are working every day to do that. But when you don't feel that, it is so hard to live in this country and it shouldn't be right. Cause if, if there's any place in the world, um, this is the place where everyone should feel like that. But being from another country and, and having lived in a different country, I know that there are places where people don't have those aspirations. People don't feel like their dreams can actually happen. So being a Warren and coaching and working with these young boys and trying to organize programs to expose them. And what I saw were, like, wow, you know, these kids and young people really want to make it. They really want what everybody else has. They want to live a good life. They want to drive a nice car. They want to have a family. But yes. there's no deliberate path. That's, there's no way of telling them if you do this and this and this and this, then the result will be this. Yeah. And the yep. kids even have a word for that. They call the environment, they call it a trap. For folks unfamiliar with the city of Indianapolis, Warren's on the far east side of the city limits. And if you just go to the county north, another 10, 15 miles, the path that those kids are shown are how to leave, 
how to lead a middle-class life with a middle-class job in a middle-class company. And kids in Warren Central, there's a spectrum, of course, but the folks that Emil's talking about, they're living a life that they call the trap, the trap of generational poverty, the trap of my role models show me how to stay in the trap, not how to get out of it. Mm. And so Emil's walking in and he knows that that folks can be one connection away from the life that they really want to lead and deserve to lead, um, where they're fed, they have a healthy family, they have stable housing, um, they have a job that they love. So, um, sorry, keep going. I get no, like, no, we got to paint that picture for people because people, if you grew up in a middle-class environment, all you knew was the path towards middle-class living. And when folks come from a place where they don't eat for days on end unless they go to school. They're not shown the same path. So yes, and and you're exactly right. Right is is when you don't know what's out there. Right, you haven't been exposed to what's out there. Then you yes. don't know what the opportunities are for you. Right, no. you know what you see every day, and and then what if what you see every day isn't pretty, then it's hard to expect more for yourself. Right. Yeah. So you need people to come into your life and help cast that vision and share with you what what could be done, what could be achieved to share with you what you're actually good at. Like, man, I see this in you. Right. Yes. And, um, and those are things people did in my life. Right. Um, so being able to pour into those young, young men, young boys, and also start saying, you know what, I want to learn more. I want to really learn about people's lives. Right. I want to learn to see, the only way to come up, come up with solutions is if you immerse yourself in the issues, right, and understand the yes. issues. So I um, spent a lot of time, um, I wrote a proposal and shared it with the superintendent of the Indianapolis Public Schools, Dr. Eugene White, at that time. I had never met him just sharing that, you know what, I, I really believe we can leverage sports as a way of, you know, empowering young people, getting more people to participate. And if they get a 2.0 GPA, a C average, then they can graduate from high school, but we're, we're inspiring them based on what they love, right? And using sports is just a tool. And he he looked at the proposal, called me in, sat down, and I want you to come do this. Funny enough, he says, well, the school district doesn't have money, you know, so we may not be able to pay you. But I was like, that's okay, you know, because I was looking for something. I was looking for mm-hmm. something to build and something to immerse myself into and develop, mm-hmm. right? So I jumped into it at IPS with, with Dr. White and um, just went in and, and we did some amazing work, right? Um, we did, got a lot of kids participating, um, developed a lot of adults to serve as um, coach mentors and there's great people in young people's lives or get them to understand the importance of what they do and the value they bring as adults and the value they bring to the kids and also getting to create the environment that kids want to be a part of, right? Mm, um, that's mm-hmm. the one thing that we forget but I think some of the biggest things was you know we spend a lot of time trying to solve systemic issues and we should right but sometimes some of the very simple things that we know need to happen we overlook mm, so yes what I learned along the way is you know what I want to solve those systemic issues first but you know it's hard to say we want more kids to be in STEM and in tech and 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 to have pass pluses on the ISTEP. 
but we don't even create an environment for them to just play. So forget yes. about playing, forget about all this, and just show up to school and do well in math. Right? <laughs> so unfortunately, that's that's the overwhelming environment in, in low-income communities. In mm. affluent communities, middle-class communities, they invest in all those things. They invest in making sure that young kids have an environment to have the youth experience and using sports as a tool to mm-hmm. teach all those soft skills, you know, teamwork, selflessness, communicate, all the things you learn. But communities across Indianapolis, or central Indiana, if it's in um, Hamilton County, if it's in Johnson County, those communities have invested millions to make sure they have that kind of environment. But here in the city of Indianapolis, where we have just all kind of gaps in young people's lives, people, young kids growing up with no fathers, um, crime, drugs around, and those environments that we see in affluent communities, we don't see in our communities, right? So as I'm working with IPS, as I'm coaching, I'm seeing all these things in our communities firsthand. And I'm sitting down in meetings where we're talking about solving big problems, right? And then I leave those meetings and see some of the very simplest things not even happening. So you ask yourself, how can we get to solving those big problems when we can't even do this, Mm -hmm. right? But then the conversations about connecting the dots and and the plans to connect those dots never happen. So spending time in the public schools um, was such a blessing for me as well, right? Because I'm I'm in a learning process right now. I'm just trying to learn. And, um, you know, playing football, you, you learn by doing. You know, if you just watch film all day and you try to go play a game, you get your butt hit. So you got to watch a That's film right. and then go practice. <laughs> you got to watch a film and go out on the field and practice. Then you yes. go play games, right? Yes. <laughs> so you got to practice. You got got to get your pants dirty. You got to get sweaty. You got to yes. get in it so you get the yes. privilege of playing the game. Yes. Yes. And yes. Um, there are teams out there that tell you if you don't practice, you can't play. No practice, no play. Right. That's right. So. Coming from that world and then coming out here and saying, you know what, we have all these issues in our communities. I felt it was important just to jump in and learn and um, and do dirty, I won't call them dirty jobs, but just do things that people look at me and like, you play the NFL, why are you doing this? Right. Mm. But I wanted to, um, it, it brought me so much joy. And um, I felt like, you know, I was learning so much because I started applying more of the things I learned playing and bringing it into practice with the things I, would, I was doing and everything just seemed to just work and come together mm-hmm. to a point where I just felt like, you know, years later, after doing all this work and all this community work and rolling up my sleeves and building relationships and learning from people and seeing and having failures along the way, um, some ideas I thought were great ideas ended up being terrible and failed. <laughs> but learn just about people and especially black people right in this country and mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the systemic issues people have faced and the generational poverty and how families upon families upon families and have just lived a certain kind of way for so long that it's hard to expect anything else when you see that and you continue to see that and you know that there's, there's a better way um, I think I told you this um, when you look at countries like China and say, you know, the Chinese brought hundreds of millions of people out of poverty in less than 50 years. That's right. 
Yes. Uplifted hundreds of millions of people and did it through education, right? Um, they sent millions of Chinese folks all over the world to go study and brought them back home uh, and mm. built their communities, right? Yes, the Chinese government purposefully lifted entire classes of people and entire generation into a more sustainable life because of systemic economic uh, pressure and um, systems that they created in their country. Mm-hmm. So. And everything was based on education as well. Yes. And uh, making sure that they had a highly educated population, right? And not just China, countries, Singapore, I mean, countries have done this and really just changed the trajectory in a short period of time, but did it mm-hmm. based on education and, and having a plan mm-hmm. for their communities as well. So anyway, so when I, you see all these things happening and, um, and you just look at the lack of progress in our communities, but you also looked at the lack of, uh, what I saw a lot was a lot of people coming into the communities to give ideas on what needed to be done in the communities. Okay. And a lot of the design work wasn't done with the communities, right? That's right. Yes. It was done to them saying, this is what you need, right? Yes. So witnessing all those things and just saying, you know what, things could be done better. The innovation should come and should be driven from the community. There's so much opportunity in this community because I just witnessed so much talent, just so many talented young people I met. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And I compared to... um, like me, for example, coming from Nigeria, right? I had never played basketball. When I came, when, when you threw me a basketball, I didn't know how to dribble or anything when I first got here, right? But once I started getting trained in basketball and football, I got better. So I had the talent, the raw talent. I just needed it developed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, what I saw in a lot of our communities was just that unbelievably smart, intelligent, driven young people full of energy with all the issues that go through they still show up to school smiling every day still are respectful to people um, but once they leave the school it's just problems right so I just looked at it and said you know what some of our biggest opportunities as a country is unleashing and helping develop and cultivate this immense talent that exists yes um, believing that the opportunity we have in the U.S. here is that if we're able to uplift tens of millions of people from our uh, most vulnerable populations, you know, we talk about China competing in all these places. There's no way, right? It's not even close because we still have millions that are searching for a way. So we decided to launch InnoPower, um, but we decided to launch a conference first, right? Because we felt like it really, it really epitomized what we were about, which is bringing people together, which is showcasing people, um, okay. unleashing talent. Right? We felt like the conference allowed us to unleash this immense talent in our diverse community here in Indianapolis. That people do really have an intent of coming. People really want to come together and solve problems here. Yes. Yes. People want to sit across from their neighbors and try to figure things out, right? But we didn't have those kind of platforms or arenas for people to do that. So we felt like if this is what we want to be as a company where we work with people, bring people together, to solve problems, and let's create a space that does that. So we created a conference, scared to death, not knowing if, if people would show up or if people would even accept right. it, or if anyone yes. would even sponsor us, right? Um, 
But again, it was just the mindset of doing right, the mindset of being confident in what I believed and and knowing what I've seen in Indianapolis um, for so many years, the, the amount of good people that have supported things that I've just talked to and saying, if we create such a space, I think this is what people want, right? And um, sure enough, we did. Um, the conference in this first year was very well attended. Um, Pre-COVID, it was in person. And then we launched a company at the conference and saying, this is who we are, the power of innovation. How do we solve problems and create opportunities in a different way? Um, we mm-hmm. feel like there's unbelievable talent, unbelievable entrepreneurial opportunities in Black communities today. Um, yes. And the biggest opportunity we have is to unleash that talent. So as we were saying that pre-COVID, COVID hits, and then George Floyd happens. Yes. Yes. And people like O'Meal, you were, this is what you're talking about. We felt like, you know, this was an important piece that needed to happen. Like we needed to create a space, but we also needed to do work to help create an environment that supports startup growth and sustainability of black businesses, right? Um, So again, reflecting to my football background and all the great things I learned is, you know, having a playbook, right? to make sure that you're not drawing plays in the sand, right? Um, But, you know, what is that playbook and how that, you know, where's the playbook on on an environment or creating creating what what infrastructure exists that supports startup growth and sustainability of black businesses? After the NFL, I spent years, I was so bitter. I didn't attend NFL events. I didn't do any of those things, right? But my NFL experience post-playing has been so wonderful. I got my MBA through the NFL, um, paid for my classes. I've been through so many wonderful training and speaking engagements and networking events. But reflecting on your experiences and understanding how those experiences have shaped you as a leader today. Mm-hmm. right and embracing those experiences right and a lot of time some of those bad experiences that we all want to forget have the biggest effect on you as a person today so for me it was it was doing that it was really looking back embracing you know leaving nigeria and the experience of being in the u.s by myself um, the experience of being nigerian and, and living in a country that's so diverse right um and then coming here, having a different understanding on people, because I see so many people in poverty and struggling and corruption in government and all those kind of things. But then that allows you to appreciate the U.S. a lot more, right? But you're also able to see and understand from an outside eye looking in the systemic issues that people have gone through. Yes. And, um, yes. and, and understanding that you know, this is a, a very unique place, a very unique country um, with a lot of wonderful people. Like there's not a, another place like this where people are so willing to give of themselves. But what I say to leaders and what I say to, to my, thank God for myself is that I, I was able to connect those dots, right? Able to embrace those experiences and reflect on those experiences. Some of the things that I, when I was even doing, asking why am I even doing this, right? And I'm able to look back today and see exactly how those things have helped my growth and really yes. have really shaped my mindset to be confident in what I'm doing today, right? Um, I still learn a lot from people, but I also feel like I know a lot because I've done a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I've experienced mm-hmm. a lot. I've, 
I've just, and I thank God for that. So even with our leaders and people listening is, you know, the only way you're going to build a body of work is by doing, right? Um, and and so many times people don't give their time for things. People don't volunteer. But those volunteer experiences have been amazing in my life as well because mm-hmm. I've learned so much, you know. So really being a doer, um, but also being able to take some time and reflect on your experiences and you'll be able to see if you're honest with yourself, how those experiences are shaped you, good or bad, um, for where you are today. But embracing that, because you can't go back and change it. That's right. That's right. So you might as well embrace it um, and own it. You know, own it. And, you know, like I said, um, I ran away from my NFL experience because it's just a bitterness. Mm-hmm. But once mm-hmm. I owned it, right, um, you just owned the experience and was able to talk about being released and talk about the grief and all those things, right? Yes. yes. Um, it just, it, it really allowed me to see how much that NFL experience really propelled me so much further, right? Um, so those are the things I'll say to leaders today as far as just understanding that. Plus those things help you treat people. It also helps you empathize with people. All right, friend, I don't know about you, but I got a little teary eyed a couple of times during our conversation just to hear about the journey that Emil has been on. I don't know if this resonates with you, but I've certainly been in those spots where you get called into the office to lose your job, to lose the thing that you're passionate about and in the moment have to manage yourself and your emotions so you show up as the class act that you are. Yet at the same time, all those thoughts are running through your head. These are my top lessons from my conversation with Emil, and I want to hear yours in the comments, wherever you're listening or watching in. But here's what I took away from how to live a life of high expectations, of high achievement, of being willing to put yourself in the spotlight. Um, Chances are you're not a a recovering NFL player who saw their name at the bottom of the ticker tape on ESPN, right? But you've had that pressure put on you and he's competed at the highest level. And if you as a leader want to compete as the highest level as well, you've got to be willing to ask some really hard questions of yourself to put yourself out there to take rejection, right? Like one of my lessons from Emil was staying classy in the moment, in the short term and in the long term, being willing to keep it classy so that you can show up with integrity, answering some of those really big questions so that you can add value to your own life, to the world, to your loved ones, That takes us wrestling with some really tough questions in our life. All of us want to feel wanted. And in those moments when we're being fired, terminated, let go, we feel the opposite of being wanted. But it's the opportunity that that ending creates for new beginnings. And I certainly heard that in Emil's story. He wrestled with those tough questions. You know, when he was let go from the NFL, he didn't create a whole new plan. He went in search of answering those questions. Sometimes that's what we've got to do while we're adulting. We've got to search to answer the questions, not create yet another action plan. I don't know about you, here are the lessons that I heard from him that he learned after he left the NFL is that when you think that you've hit failure, you've hit a new place in your life. You have, you've been invited to the next level. Your network is always bigger than you give it credit for, right? He had his head down 
for so many years doing the thing that he was passionate about, football. And when football forced him to look up, he realized that he had people in his network who wanted to support him. He had skills that he didn't realize that he had that he could translate to a whole different um, way of living out the game, if you will. He allowed himself ultimately, I believe, to be guided. For those of us who are ambitious, who um, hopefully are staying in high achieving land, not just overly overachieving land, we look for meaning too soon. We look to have a nice, neat little package handed to us, say, this is why you went through tough stuff. And if we go in search of asking the big hard questions about our life, what, what brings us purpose and passion, Sometimes we gotta stay in the suck a bit longer than we want because that's where we will find meeting. It's in that it's in doing the hard things that those long-term plans and passions will reveal itself. So allow yourself to be guided. And the other thing that stuck out for me as I as I look through my notes to share with you today is you know, he encountered a lot of those young men at the high school that he was coaching who were scared to say their dreams out loud. And I know a lot of adults who are scared to share their dreams out loud. So my challenge is to you today, share your dreams out loud. Chances are, are higher than you think that they are possible, that you can make them happen. But you've gotta be willing to be guided, to be shown the way and take take action and do the hard work to make it happen. All right, my friend, that is my wrap up of our conversation. Again, I would love to hear your insights, your takeaways in the comments, wherever you are listening or watching. And now let's get off the internet. Let's be pro troublemakers. That gets the real impactful, passionate work done. And we'll see you next time.